This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Justin Coppin, and this is Reset. Well, another week and more bad news about COVID-19. More than a quarter of a million Americans dead. Cases continue to soar to daily highs in the U.S. and hospitalizations reaching record numbers in Illinois and many other states. To fight the spread of the virus, the entire state has rolled back to Tier 3 restrictions. Casinos, theaters, and museums are closed. Grocery stores are operating with stricter capacity limits. And restaurants and bars are limited to outdoor dining, pickup, or delivery. Tier 3 boils down to this. If you don't need to do it, don't. So what can we do to protect ourselves and others from the virus during this time? And what should we keep in mind as we head into the holidays? Joining us now to answer your COVID-19 questions, Dr. Mia Teramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hey, Justin. Good to talk with you. All right, so let's start with restrictions. It seems like every week we're getting a new set of restrictions. Do they work? I mean, does it it help uh, curb the spread that we are just seeing uh, surge at an alarming rate? You know, they do work if we if we adhere to them. And I agree with the governor's statement that we really need to reconsider all non-essential activities at this point to try and just limit our movement. Uh, even the CDC has has pretty strongly recommended to uh, cancel all uh, holiday travel at this time. You know, if going from state to state can can really be problematic. And you know, also all the non-essential things. If you if you need to run to the store to get some groceries, that might be one thing. But going to multiple stores and just leisurely shopping at this point in time is probably not going to be the best. We need to sort of hunker down and, uh, you know, uh, roll with the punches this surge has handed us. Yeah, as we get closer to what seems to be the inevitable, which is a, a stay-at-home order, uh, what what stops us from doing that? Do, do you see some, some uh, you know, reduction in the numbers, the hospitalizations, those things from these restrictions? I mean, does it have to happen fast or will you see the governor quick go, all right, next move. The only thing we got left, everybody's in lockdown. Uh, the unfortunate reality is that is the only thing we have left at this point. Um, you know, it's going to come down to the hospital capacities. And, and if our hospitals are able to sustain the community um, uh, needs for the patients that require hospitalization, the entire purpose of the first stay-at-home order was to flatten the curve, so to speak. And, and it's not about stopping anything. This, this virus is running its inevitable course. The problem is, is if we allow too much movement between people and don't have uh, shelter-in-place orders, we run that unfortunate possibility of overwhelming our hospitals systems and already hospitals are working on those contingency plans this morning i saw a story on nbc chicago uh, at o'hare airport and it was a uh, a long line of crowds as they try to check in and go through security and it looked like any other holiday 
It looked like it was just a, a, a typical Friday before a holiday weekend. No social distancing, everybody with their bags ready to go. What I don't know what to make. I mean, you see that. And the only thing I could say psychologically as a human being, seeing that uh, in a pandemic, I, it raises my eyebrow. I think it raises everybody's. But, I mean, this it seems to me that people are going, well, I'm wearing a mask so I can do whatever I want. There, there is certainly uh, a part of that, and we do know that individuals um, in uh, polls and surveys have said, you know, 40% of people do not plan on changing their, their Thanksgiving plans at all, whether it involves travel or gathering in large groups, and that's a significant number of individuals. In the setting of, you know, in Illinois alone, we are approaching a rolling positive rate around 15% here. Um, you know, anytime you're standing in a room with 10 people, there's a very good chance one has coronavirus, whether they know it or not. That's, that's where we're at right now. This is a, a pretty substantial risk. And we want to really work on, you know, mitigating that. Um, we we are going to have uh, a very, very dramatic uh, few weeks ahead if um, patients and individuals don't adhere to uh, some of these social um, restrictions at this yeah. point. Dr. Terramino, from your vantage point at DuPage Medical Group, and we talked a lot about uh, the Collar Counties, but we've also talked about, uh, I, there was a great piece Kristen Schorsch had on just about Esperanza medical uh, systems on, on the south and, and west sides of Chicago, southwest side, uh, just at capacity, doubling up on beds, people being put in the lobbies, uh, things like that. Where are we when we come to hospitals and, and hospitalization capacities uh, in DuPage Medical Group, but, but in general? In general, uh, you know, all of the hospitals out here in the suburbs as well are are being stretched. Um, certainly, we have uh, plans to try and get uh, patients that are nearing discharge out of the hospital as the first part of our day to open up beds for the latter parts of the day so patients don't have to sit in the emergency rooms continuously. You know, uh, essentially, we are running our hospitals at full capacity, and the difference between now and the first shelter-in-place order is all of the elective surgeries, elective procedures, elective diagnostics are still moving forward. So a lot of those patients are requiring hospital stays after their procedures right. and after their, um, you know, workups are done. And because of that, we are stretched in. We are opening alternative spaces. We are considering doubling up patients in, in some rooms if need be. Um, so it's it's a really, you know, we have to scrutinize our PPE supplies again. You know, it seemed very robust this summer, and now we have to take a second look and make sure we have enough. So uh, it's, it's very troubling that, that we have to kind of get into those levels of mitigation again. Yeah. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's start with Rochelle, who's in West Ridge. Rochelle, welcome to Reset. Thank you very much. My question is this. Uh, I have a niece who has young children, ages 7, 5, and 2, and everyone in the family had coronavirus in September. Uh, they recovered. Uh, the 7- and 5-year-olds go to a private school, with in-class instruction. Is there a way I can be around the family safely? Thanks. Thanks so much, Rochelle. Uh, yeah. Dr. Termian? So, you know, we, I, get, I get asked this question a lot. Certainly it is marginally safer to be around someone who is COVID recovered within the last 90 days as they should have antibodies and they should not be able to become reinfected and, and have a meaningful infection that could lead towards uh, a significant spread. That being said, there exists the possibility that someone who is COVID recovered can still hold on to active virus that they get re-exposed to. It 
may not infect themselves, but it could, in theory, infect someone else. So again, this is a very, very uh, challenging time. And, and even if someone is completely COVID recovered and may be at less risk, um, you know, meeting up with uh, family members uh, still requires the social distancing, mask wearing, and being responsible um, with the numbers of people you're interacting with at this time. Yeah. All right, let's keep going here. Let's go to Steve, who's standing by in Oak Park. Steve, welcome to Reset. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, Thanks for the call. My son, my son has, um, he has a mud room where we could sit with the, tape, with the windows all open, and the dining room door is right there with everybody else. How much would that reduce the risk, or should we just forget about going at all, given the high rates of infection about, we now yeah, have? about Thanksgiving. Uh, Dr. Taramina, the mudroom opening up a little bit of space, is, is that a good idea? So my official word on, on Thanksgiving is if you can make alternative plans, please do so. Um, if you are, you know, having Thanksgiving just with your family who lives in your house, that is going to be the safest. Otherwise, no more than six to 10 people from no more than two households. And to the extent that there is going to be indoor eating, um, you should be masked at all times, essentially when you're not eating, especially when social distancing can't be maintained. And as opposed to eating around a table, I would recommend spreading that eating through several rooms to keep it social distanced oh, yeah. and, um, you know, eating in different places around the house. Uh, if there is a space, a mudroom, a screened in porch, um, outdoors, if the weather is nice enough, certainly that would be preferred to indoors. But none of these things are any uh, guarantee. Certainly the, the safest bet is staying home with your own household. Finally, a, a reason, an excuse for dad to eat his Thanksgiving dinner in his recliner. Absolutely. <laughs> Good work. I encourage it. <laughs> Let's go to Ruth, who's in Rogers Park. Ruth, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you. My question regards um, larger public gatherings with masks on. So I'm thinking of things like zoo lights or the um, light um, yeah. like celebration at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Mm -hmm. There are times people are wearing masks, but they're pretty popular. So what's your word on that? Yeah, thanks, Ruth. That's a good question. Outside masked, but still popular. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of these outdoor activities like uh, the Morton Arboretum's um, illumination is, is being moved to inside your vehicles, driving through instead of walking through. So I think there's going to be some modifications. I think it's sort of to be continued at this point. A lot of these activities happen between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And depending on where we are with mitigation, they may be canceled. Uh, if there are allowed outside activities like zoo lights and things like that, um, likely there will be reservations needed. If not, it's a matter of you making sure you're going in a small group, not uh, traveling over there and intending to stay in a group of 10, 12 family members and friends. It should just be your household and keeping that social distance from everyone else. And if there's an activity that appears crowded, uh, you know, kind of keep, keep it moving. Dr. Teramina, lots being made about uh, a vaccine. Pfizer is, is asking for emergency clearance from the FDA to, to get this fast-tracked and, and possibly to, uh, to Americans by December. Um, when we talk about this, and, and they're saying that uh, there's precedent to that, that they're still in trials, but they can move forward. And what do we need to know about this when, when we have uh, private companies that are trying to you know, lobby the government saying, we're ready, we want to be there, we want to be first? 
Sure. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's incentive to do that um, for the companies themselves. However, we do have uh, the fact that Pfizer and, and shortly after Moderna um, applying for emergency use authorization, it is based on a timeline and the timeline necessitated that they had at least 60 days of, of data. And that's where we're at right now uh, in this uh, later part of November. So they have met the obligations of the FDA in terms of providing 60 days of data in addition to the safety profile and the efficacy profile. The efficacy, as you know, for both uh, Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines has been touted in the mid-90s uh, percentage-wise, which is phenomenal in terms of um, the efficacy of a vaccine. And the hope is in, in that we would get immunity actually longer than we had anticipated. So that is to be continued. Um, the first round of vaccines is likely going to go to healthcare workers and our most vulnerable nursing home patients. And then uh, we can look toward having more data and more expansion to the distribution of this vaccine into the um, you know late winter, spring months uh, for the general public. And that's really going to be the biggest you know factor in getting over this pandemic. If you're not a frontline responder and you're not someone who is vulnerable, who's living in a nursing home, you, there's no, you should not have an expectation there will be a vaccine until, like you said, late winter, early spring. Correct. Um, multiple, I mean, we've got 12 different vaccines at various stages of, of later stage human trials right now. So it is possible we'll have multiple come to market in the months to come and that could potentially expedite things. But it, it's going to be a, a mountainous task to get this vaccine distributed, administered. We currently have a vaccine that requires, um, you know, certain storage requirements mm -hmm. and also two separate doses. So we have to make sure before we give individuals one dose that we have enough doses to give everyone who's already received one dose the second dose. So there's a lot of nuances here that we have to really work through. And the, the initial states that are going to have the very first supply are, are some smaller states. I heard Rhode Island, Tennessee, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how quickly we can get this in our hands. Right. It's not lost on me, but the, the conversation we had this week about cold storage, uh, yeah. that, the, the, that building that was in Chicago that was on Fulton, Fulton Cold Storage, which was a huge building. And it was done, and it was a couple of years ago, said, ah, we don't need that anymore, and they turned it into Google. <laughs> Google is the building that was the Fulton Gold Storage. I'm like, ah, we were so close. All right, let's go to Samantha in Brookfield. Samantha, you're on Reset. Hi, good morning. Um, good morning. I'll be 29 weeks tomorrow, or sorry, I will be 29 weeks pregnant tomorrow, and I was wondering, in relation to the vaccines that are coming out, if we know how those are safe or not safe for expectant mothers or for newborns. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Samantha. So, Samantha, none of the vaccines coming out are going to be approved in under age 18 just yet. We have trials ongoing enrolling ages 12 and up currently, um, but it'll be some time before we actually have um, uh, approval in that population. We may have some exceptions to the rule. Time will tell on that one, but it will be some time. So it is going to be the... Um, kind of obligation of us as healthy adults to become vaccinated in order to try and drive that needle toward herd immunity. Um, there are no studies uh, in pregnancy at this point. So to the extent that you have safely delivered um, and vaccine is available for you postpartum, uh, you would certainly be a candidate for that. But uh, pregnancy at this time, we're not going to have that indication. So the use of, of a vaccine in a pregnant person would have to depend on preliminary data when it becomes available. Yeah. And Dr. Termina, I saw a story this week, just as actually this morning, I was reading the, the conundrum that's facing schools because uh, as, as vaccines come out, they said they're not going to give them to kids or or even beyond. Let, let's say beyond vaccines, just this, this story was just about tests and yeah. about uh, that. That's just really hard for kids to get tests. 
And because of that, and you have schools saying, well, you need to be tested to come back to school. There's this conundrum that are we going to figure that out? Is that something when we talk about kids and, and COVID that we're going to figure out how to how to handle this? You know, and that's that's exactly what we need. And in a perfect world, we need a rapid point of care testing that we can do very quickly and in a, a significant number of people on a very regular basis. We have testing uh, capabilities where, you know, we can get tests done relatively inexpensively and antigen screen along those lines, some of the saliva-based tests. But to be able to expand that to a significant number of students is um, is where we're at. And it's uh, something that we need to work on in the coming months. Or I've said this before, and I don't want to, we're going to be talking about these kids returning to school safely in the fall of 2021 if we cannot find a way to to move towards more rapid testing, more access to testing, and a significant rollout of uh, the vaccine and a significant percentage of the population being willing to receive it. Yeah. Let's head southwest to Palos Heights. Chris, welcome to Reset. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question is this. I've heard a lot about good ventilation in a room. So if you have people sitting in a room in chairs, I'm thinking about a particular group, six feet apart, and there are windows that we are able to open on three sides of the room. Do those windows need to be open uh, 18 inches? Can a three-inch window opening in several of the windows, is that adequate ventilation? That's a great question. Uh, Dr. Termina? So when you open windows on multiple sides of the room, it's going to enhance that concept of of circulation and and laminar flow in order to get the air moving through a space. I don't know that there's any data as to how many inches the window should be opened. However, intuitively, the more air circulation, the better. Obviously, we live in the Midwest and the weather is not always favorable for that. But to the extent that the weather is favorable, having, you know, open flow of air in in a space is ideal. When we talk about a group of people gathering and Again, I like to reinforce that eating around a table involves people generally facing each other, unmasked, talking, and eating. And that is something that I would not recommend at this time. So again, if you're having people gather in a room and there's going to be a need to be unmasked, as in eating or drinking, we need to have that social distancing and the best possible circulation and ventilation of air we can. Yeah. All right, let's do one more call. Let's go to Travis, who's in Humboldt Park. Travis, welcome to Reset. What's your question for Dr. Termina? Well, so I'm very impressed that... Um... When I go to the store, I essentially only go to the grocery store or you know, Walgreens and whatnot, and most everybody has a mask on. Uh, I'm a little upset that uh, a lot of people pull it down so that their nose is exposed. Yeah, right. And it's just like, I, I'm just like, well, why even wear it? But I'm wondering if there's still some efficacy because of the droplet co- uh, collection and just the mouth. How worried should I be around somebody that's walking in the store with their nose exposed? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> ended. Uh, and, and Dr. Termina. Fair enough. Uh, the the vaccine, or I'm sorry, the mask needs to be worn above the nose, so by by middle of the nose and below the chin, and and generally form fitting fairly well on the sides of the face. So we need to have proper mask wearing. If someone has their nose exposed, that is not going to be effective mask wearing, and the droplet risk approaches that of someone who's unmasked. Mm. Uh, we definitely would need to have the mask worn properly. Yeah, above the nose, right? <laughs> I love that. I saw someone with a mask that said, keep it above the nose. It felt like it was, uh, it was printed on the mask, their mask. So I thought that was a great way. So if you can find one of those, maybe for the holidays as a gift, that might work. Uh, thanks for the call, Travis. Dr. Mia Teramina, DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Justin. 
For more Reset interviews, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating and a review. That helps other listeners find us. For more info about the program, you can head over to the WBEZ website or follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Reset. That's it for Reset this Sunday. I'm Justin Kaufman. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.